How are committed Christians portrayed in Hollywood media today? It's actually a little more complicated than you might think. They are often presented as foolish characters, but you might not not be aware the Bible has different categories of fools that it speaks to. For example, it speaks of the holy fool, uh, that uh, we are fools for Christ, Paul describes in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Who is the holy fool and how is that person portrayed in films and television? We'll answer these questions today with our guest, Thomas C. Rehagen, pastor, uh, doctoral student living in Belgium, and also as part of their church planting ministry, runs a community arts center that he directs. I'm your host, Scott Ray. This is Think Biblically from Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. Thomas, welcome. Great to have you with us. Thanks so much, Scott. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, tell us, first of all, how did you get interested in this particular subject uh, about how Christians are being portrayed in films and television? Yeah, so I've always been interested in trickster figures that kind of stand around the borders. I think it goes back all the way to my childhood when I was cast as Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream when I was 11 years Very old. Interesting. Kind of a classic trickster figure standing between the fae world and the mortal world. But yeah, as I got older, that passage in 1 Corinthians 1, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, just really captivated my imagination. And you come to find out, you know, there's a history of holy fools throughout church history, and especially in the Eastern tradition. And it just got me thinking about the question, well, where are the holy fools in the Western tradition? Well, let me, let me ask you just the, the overall of that 30, at the 35,000 foot level, how are Christ, committed Christians generally portrayed in Hollywood media today? Yeah, we're all familiar with the tropes, right? Uh, They're normally uh, either like a naif, which is they're marked by their gullibility and their simplicity, their worldview is reductive. Or they, we see a lot of hypocrites, right? People who say that they're Christians, but they're marked by their judgmentalism and their fundamentalism, and they're ultimately very hypocritical. Okay, so Um, yeah, so I give me give me an example of each one of those. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for the NAFE, I mean, one of the most popular ones is um, Mary Cooper from A Big Bang Theory, right? She appears in several episodes throughout the series, Sheldon Cooper's mom. And, uh, you know, Sheldon is very famous atheist character, but Mary is the opposite. She's an evangelical Christian and she has good qualities. Like she's got relationship savvy, which makes means she's a good contrast for Sheldon. But all the jokes written for her character uh, are uh, surrounded by this like naif stereotype, you know, that that, you know, Sheldon says evolution isn't an opinion. It's fact. And Mary replies, well, that's your opinion. You know, the implication is, you know, she's well-intentioned, but she's just not as intelligent as the other main characters. So that's a good example of the naif. A hypocrite, the classic one is Angela from The Office, right? We all know. Uh, I, I think it could be argued she is the most immoral main character on The Office. She's she's cruel in a lot of instances. And, uh, you know, she's disparaging Oscar for his sexuality, but she's guilty of many sexual infidelities herself. She's always trying to climb the social status ladder by married, marrying a closeted gay senator herself. And the few humanizing moments she has in the series just have nothing to do with her faith. Her faith is always written as kind of like a punchline, and it's, uh, she's a hypocrite, ultimately. Now, you, you make the case in some of your work that there are examples of film and TV characters that are more nuanced. They're more—I guess maybe they're more carefully constructed with regard to their faith, that it's more, it's more complicated than what 
uh, we, we see in general. Can you go yeah. Ahead? So what's interesting is I think in Hollywood media, there's this phenomenon where evangelicals specifically are written more as hypocrites and naifs. But when you see uh, Catholic characters, they often have more nuance. Like a good example is President Jed Bartlett on West Wing. Right. He's uh, throughout the series. His faith is portrayed with a lot of nuance. But then when evangelical characters pop up, in fact, in a pilot episode, the the president's character is introduced with a fiery speech against these evangelicals who are being hypocritical. And uh, and so we're supposed to see the contrast. Right. We're supposed to admire the nuanced, mature faith of the president and scorn the hypocrisy of the evangelicals, which is very interesting. But I think Eric and Tammy Taylor from Friday Night Lights are a good example exception. They're, they're evangelical mm-hmm. characters, but they're also written with some some nuance, which I appreciate. Now, by, by contrast, in general, again, and this is a generalization, how are atheists and skeptics portrayed? Yeah, I think atheists have good reason to complain about their portrayal as well. You know, atheist characters like Dr. Cox from Scrubs or even Sheldon from Big Bang Theory, right? Their, their their negative character traits are also associated with their atheism. They, they can be like uh, harsh and uh, have limited social skills, and their, their punchlines are often uh, in conjunction with their atheistic beliefs as well. So then it's interesting, you know, the viewer of these shows is we're meant to laugh at the extremes, right? The atheist is the extreme on the one side and the evangelical is the extreme on the other side. I think it's it's really interesting. I mean, comedy writers are always looking for extremes and incongruities. Now, when when you talk about the different types of fools in the Bible, there you know, we've you know, we we I think routinely think about you know, the fool says in his heart there is no god. Uh but we're also Fools for Christ's sake, which you mentioned in First Corinthians one, who who is the fool in the scripture? Yeah, so they, yeah, we have two types of fools, right? We have what uh, I would call the fool proper, which is right the fool from Proverbs, right? Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, and and Jesus addresses these fools as well, right? He he talks about the Pharisees. Um, who just have a veneer of religiosity, and it, it does little to hide the rot underneath, right? And so he, he, Jesus is warning Christians, you know, don't be a fool like these fools. And, and that's why I, I think we see a lot of fools proper on American screens, right? And the naif and the hypocrite are, are good examples of fools proper. But yeah, that passage in, in 1 Corinthians is incredible. There is a second type of fool in the Bible. We are fools for, for Christ's sake. And uh that fool, there's in a sense where all Christians are called into that kind of holy folly. When Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, it's an invitation into the foolishness of the cross. But, you know, there's there's a scholar, John Sayward, who argues that holy fool could even be considered like an even deeper calling, an even deeper gift of the Holy Spirit for some Christians and not all to be kind of a subversive figure that stands on the borders of societies and points to the madness of the system uh, in kind of extreme ways. We have examples throughout church history of these holy fools, um, St. Francis or St. Basil. A lot of them come from the Eastern tradition. Um, But yeah, and we see them in Europe, in European movies, but uh, yeah, we don't see them a lot in American films. Okay, so this is what you say that the the we'll get to, we'll get to the holy fool in more detail in just a moment. But that's one of the differences you mentioned between how 
committed Christians are treated in films and television in Europe differently than in the U.S. There's more, you see this holy fool more often. Uh, but what are some of the other differences in how committed Christians are treated in the in media in Europe that differ from the yeah. U.S.? I think it's interesting. I think Europeans have just a little bit more patience for uh, in-depth stories about Christianity, even in history. Now, a lot of historical American films, there have to be like sword fights or political intrigue. But you know, there's a film came out in the, the 80s called The Name of the Rose. And it was in English. They tried to market it to an American audience. And it was set in a monk in, the thir- in a monastery uh, in the 1300s. Sean Connery played a monk. And uh, the plot revolved around it had a murder mystery element, but it also had a big theological debate between two uh, between the Benedictines and the Franciscans, and it was it was long, and you had to have patience, and it completely flopped in America. You know, box office of only seven million, but in Europe, the film had great success, seventy million really? uh, gross in Europe, and so the Europeans had a lot of patience for sitting through a nuanced film of their own history of of Christian debates, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think Europeans just have uh, they're just more interested and have more patience for for nuance. So we tend to, would it be fair to say that in Europe we tend to see more realistic um, and more more complex uh, portrayals of Christian characters? Would that, in, in general, would that be fair? Yeah, you know, it's a complicated landscape in Europe as well. And there's a fair amount of stories and movies in Europe as well about people uh, leaving the faith and going after secularism as well. So it is complicated there as well. But you you just end up getting these great films as well. Like all theologians, their favorite film is Babette's Feast, which is a yeah. Danish film, yeah. right? You know, I would argue Babette shows holy folly as well by giving away all the money mm-hmm. she's earned. Uh, there's a Russian film called The Island uh, coming out in 2006, and it's explicitly about a holy fool, just a modern holy fool. And uh, um, yeah, these these films are just incredible and beautiful, and I just don't see them coming out of Hollywood. Now, you make the claim in your work that Christian, you know, distinctly Christian films haven't done a whole lot to correct this dominant narrative about how Christian, how committed Christians are viewed in the U.S., um, and wh- why have Christian films failed to do this in your judgment? Yeah, we have this curious evangelical subculture here in the States, right? And we're, we're producing our own movies. But I think the reaction to these stereotypes um, has been like a little bit, we take a little bit of offense to the naif and the hypocrite. And so our films tend to be, um, you know, like God's not dead. We're, we want to show that we're intelligent, you know, by our, you know, defending our faith or uh, a film like Courageous, which is like, no, we, we're actually good for the community and we're kind. We're, we're not hypocrites. Um, but but those films never penetrate outside of the, the evangelical subculture, right? They have no impact beyond just evangelicals. And so I, I think they they tend to appear self-congratulatory, self-affirming, you know, where we're just telling ourselves, I know everybody thinks we're mean and uh, you know, we're dumb, but we're actually smart and we're actually kind. And so I, I don't think they're doing much to change the, the overall public perception of evangelicals in America. Well, I think you're, you're basically right about that, too, that they tend to they tend to be distributed and exist in somewhat of an echo chamber. Yes. Um, and they don't they don't find a lot of acceptance, you know, outside distinctly Christian circles. Um, we'll, we have a film school here at Biola. We'll get to that in just a moment where we're trying to do something a little bit different than that. 
uh, and I've, uh, in, a, in a minute, I want to get your advice to what, uh, what, what you would have for our film school to, to portray uh, the, the lives and the, the complexity of committed Christians in media differently than we've been able to do so far. But let me go back to the, to the notion of we are fools for Christ's sake. Uh, this is, you know, this is something that I think Paul intended to be applicable to, to for, for all believers. Can you help us spell out a little bit more what you think Paul meant by that? Yeah, look, if I think Paul is saying, if you are truly seeking to follow Jesus, right? So truly seeking to deny yourself, take up your cross, you will end up doing things that appear foolish to everyone around you. The way you treat your money will be foolish to uh, to how people treat their money, the way you treat your space and the things that the Lord has given you, the, the way that you just interact with people uh, will appear to be foolish. And I think all Christians are called to wrestle with that and to see that the, the wisdom of God is not the same as the wisdom of uh, men and women. Yeah, I can see where you know, the notion that we're called to love our enemies. Yeah, I know in, in some cultures where revenge is considered the highest virtue, uh, you know, the idea of forgiveness looks incredibly foolish in some, yes. in some parts of the world. Um, yes. And, yeah, and you can argue the mission of the church too, right? The call to go to the ends of the earth is foolish to many people. Why would you leave your home culture and go to the other end of the world? That's That's foolish, and yet many Christians do that. Okay, but the the holy fool is something a, a little bit different than yes. than what we are all called to. This is a person who we, we would say the you know being you know being a fool for Christ on steroids, you know some, yes. something like that uh, stands outside really outside the the dominant culture. Give me a couple of examples and spell these out in a little bit of detail, if you would. Uh, where the holy fool appears in films or, or television in the U.S. Yeah, holy fools are more like prophets, right? Special special Christians who are appointed by God to to really point out the absurdity of what's going on and uh, to be agents of change. Uh, so yeah, one of my favorite ones in recent film is is the Mel Gibson war drama Hacksaw Ridge. Um, which is about Desmond Doss, who was a Seventh-day Adventist pacifist, but he he enlisted. He wanted to be a medic, but as soon as they found out that he wouldn't touch a rifle, he was treated as, you know, a traitor and an arrogant moralist and a coward. And, and those charges graded at, at Doss in the film, but he kind of accepted this role as, as a holy fool. And it, his folly really shines on the battlefield where they're... they're the, the film revolves around the story where the, the U.S. Army is ordered to take this ridge where the Japanese Army has um, entrenched themselves, and they get thrown off the ridge very violently, you know, suffering heavy losses. And Das, you know, he's he's hovering at the edge of the ridge, and he prays. He says, God, what do you want of me? And I think, you know, only a fool would be on that ridge in that situation without a weapon, you know, only a fool would do anything but retreat in that moment. But he hears the cries of the wounded as the voice of God, and he turns around. And over the course of the next day and night, he lowers down 75 wounded soldiers and even some enemy soldiers as well, seeing with the eyes of Christ and, and loving his enemies instead of, you know, killing them. And 
And uh, in the end, you know, the, the army refuses to go into another battle without Doss. You know, he, he really he wears a medal of the honor, a medal of honor by the end of the film without ever taking a life, which I think is just an incredible example of a holy fool in, in recent film. And you, you point out, too, I mean, our, our listeners that have seen the film, if you haven't seen the film, it's a fabulous movie. I really encourage you to see it. Uh, but even before, while they're in boot camp and training, uh, some, yes. something happens there that yes. sort of sets the stage for what's going to yes. happen a little bit later on. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, it's incredible how Das. Uh, he really, his whole desire is to protect the men around him. And it, even the men in boot camp, they don't understand. And so they, they drag him out of bed one night and beat him uh, to try and drive him away. And so he's, he's standing there with bruises on his face in front of his blood-soaked pillow. And the drill sergeant comes and says, you know, can you identify the men that beat you? And Dasa says, look, I, I, I never said I was attacked, Sarge. And, and the sergeant is like, well, are you saying that you bruised half your body sleeping? And Doss <laughs> says, I sleep pretty hard, you know, and that's, that's a great, that's the response of a holy fool, right? He's being playful in that moment, but in, instead of seeking revenge, he, he's, he's just accepting the violence and transforming it. You know, he's, he's willing to endure whatever to it takes to protect the men in his unit. And, uh, I, I think, uh, we see this the seeds of what he eventually does on the battlefield is is planted in that moment now can you can you identify um in television or you know Netflix series or you know things like that where we see the holy fool uh you know in a sort of a well developed character over you know several you know several weeks of uh you know of broadcasts as opposed to just in one feature film? You see them in television as well. Um, that's a that's a good question. I I I haven't really seen them in uh, in many f- series, you know. And often these characters pop up in like sitcoms, which are kind of played for laughs. Um, and uh, it's tough to find good holy fools in in those scenarios because the comedy writers really are looking for uh, punchlines. And so the proper fools are more convenient for that. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, there, yeah, there's a Netflix movie that recently came out where I think we see a holy fool, but in, in, uh, in, in a series, I can't, think of, I can't think of any good examples. You know, what, what's the, what's the Netflix movie that you're referring to? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Adam McKay's movie, don't look up the political satire. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an evangelical character at the end of the film played by Timothy Chalamet. Um, his name is Yule, and uh, he's kind of a, you know, a little bit of a uh, interesting example for an evangelical. I mean, he's definitely a, a fool character who's who just kind of spends his days drinking and lamenting the hypocritical institutions of the world with his friends. But in the final moments of the film, you know, the whole film is about the comet coming to end the whole world. And these scientists are trying to get everyone to to try and prevent the death of all humanity. But all their efforts fail. So the comet's about to hit. And the men and women of science are they're they're slipping into despair and hopelessness. Um, and they're around the table uh, kind of hosting kind of like a last supper. And um, they don't know what to do. And so they think, well, maybe we should pray. And Yule, you know, who is this evangelical character. He says, I'll lead the prayer. And he leads them in this incredible prayer, this moment where they are really looking for hope 
in the divine when previously they would have never considered it. And, uh, and the director, Adam McKay, says that moment is his favorite moment in the whole film, which is kind of remarkable because is, he's, yeah. he's the, he's the, this is the same director who's responsible for the infamous Ricky Bobby prayer in, in Talladega nights, you know, where Ricky Bobby's praying to, you know, eight pounds, six ounce newborn infant Jesus, you know, and, uh, and is just mocking, uh, Christians for how they kind of treat Jesus as, um, you know, just uh, their own personal version of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and to see how McKay's vision matured from Ricky Bobby then to now to Don't Look Up is a really interesting trajectory, I think. That's fascinating to think how uh, he could have portrayed uh, a Christian so, sim- so simplistically and yet so detailed, complex, and nuanced uh, a little bit later on. I wonder if it's yeah. interesting to know if his view— of Christian faith had changed. Yeah, uh, that, yeah know, it's interesting. McKay himself is an atheist, but his mom is an evangelical Christian. So I think he does have a good example yeah. of real faith in his life. And uh, yeah, and again, context matters, right? And don't look up, you know, the context is they're all about to die, you know? So, you know, in the context of you know, scientism and infinite progress that, oh, everything's just going to get better and better and better, then praying doesn't make any sense. But when you're about to die, well, praying is just about the only thing that does make sense, even to a professed atheist. Yeah, may- maybe the uh, a comet coming at the end of the world is a little bit more spiritually significant moment than a NASCAR race. You're right. Uh, now, I mentioned earlier, we have a film school at Biola that uh, puts out Lots of graduates into the entertainment industry. My son, my oldest son, actually is a graduate of the film school here uh, and is working all over the industry in Los Angeles. Um, and the, the reason we have a film school here is we're committed to producing the next generation of storytellers uh, and filmmakers. And what, so if you, if you were speaking to our film students, what advice would you have for them about representing Christian faith well in the media today? Yeah. So if you are a filmmaker, you're a storyteller first and foremost. And uh, I I would really look to the example of Jesus because Jesus was also a storyteller. And what's interesting is when Jesus told his stories, uh, they were ambiguous. You know, his disciples often didn't understand them and they asked for explanation. Sometimes he would explain, sometimes he wouldn't. And he didn't explain to the crowds. He just left them to think about it. Right. And so my advice for filmmakers would be don't fear ambiguity. Sometimes the we're tempted in the evangelical subculture to offer answers, answers, answers. And some of the best films don't offer answers, but they offer great questions. And I think that's what we see Jesus doing in his storytelling. And I think uh, for the next generation of uh, filmmakers, the best films are going to come when they ask really great questions. And the second thing I would say is to don't be afraid of nuance either. I mean, just uh, anytime we see a Christian character who's nuanced, uh, it's a win, you know. And uh, and so, yeah, look look for the nuance and don't don't fear ambiguity is my biggest advice. That's that's really helpful. Those are two two bits of great insight. And I can see, you know, sort of it makes sense now that you don't see a lot of this nuance in comedies where. You know, writers and directors are they're looking more for punchlines uh, yes. than anything else. And you got you got 22 minutes in an American sitcom, which is not a lot of time to develop much of a much uh, complexity or nuance. So, Thomas, one final question for you: 
what what encourages you when it comes to the progress made uh, or sort of where we are today in representing Christian faith in television and movies? Yeah, I... Well, one thing, I, I'm just encouraged by what I see in the next generation. I mean, uh, Gen Z Christians have never known like this respectability and cultural clout that comes from being a Christian. You know, they, they've had to be fools for Christ much more deeply than the older generations of Christians have. And so I think from that posture of humility and willing to be fools for Christ is going to come uh, great movies where we see nuanced portrayals of Christians who are, are willing to embrace this calling for holy folly. So I, I'm just, I, I think I'm excited about what the next generation is going to produce and contribute to the landscape. But then also, I, you know, I think it's encouraging to see a trajectory like Adam McKay had, who, you know, he, he, his understanding of what an evangelical Christian is has evolved uh, over the last 20 years. And uh, um, I think we're starting to see these holy fool characters pop up uh, a little bit more and more. And so uh, I'm encouraged by what I see there as well. Yeah, th- I think there is, there is room to be encouraged. Uh, and I think, I, I think the, the culture's tolerance for sort of the traditional naif and hypocrite, uh, I, would, I would hope in, in future years would, would diminish a bit and, and we would be, as consumers, we would be asking for more and more complexity and nuance in the way not only Christian characters, religious characters are portrayed, but where all characters are portrayed. Yes. Um, I, that, w- that would be my hope. So, Thomas, this has been so helpful. I so appreciate your work on this. Um, and, you know, your, you know your, your graduate study on this, and I w- wish you all the best in finishing that degree and getting that work out published. Uh, but this has been so insightful uh, yeah, well, thank I you hope, so much. It's been a real joy for me as well to share some of some of my work. Well, and I hope our listeners will will go ahead go ahead and see some of these films that you've uh, you've mentioned, uh, and it's, it's great stuff. And really encouraged by what what you're doing. So, thanks for being with us, and uh, much appreciated for your time and for your expertise. Uh, and I trust our listeners will find this to be really insightful stuff. Thank you so much. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. Think Biblically podcast is brought to you by Talbot School of Theology at Biola University, offering programs in Southern California and online, including our Bachelors of Film uh, from our film school uh, here on campus. Visit biola.edu in order to learn more. If you enjoyed today's conversation with our friend Thomas Sieberhagen, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening, and remember... Think biblically about everything.